1: And welcome to episode 97 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom
2: Mile in Dallas.
1: In our last episode, which actually seems to have generated a lot of attention, we discussed the growing need to manage our many mobile apps. Did you know that the number of machines accessing the internet overtook the number of people using the internet? Back in 2008, more than 10 billion machines are now connecting to the internet. What are all those machines doing? In this episode, we'll take a closer look at what is being called the internet of things and its implication for lawyers and everyone else. Tom, what's on
2: the agenda for this episode? Well, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will be talking about that phenomenon known as the Internet of Things and whether it means anything for lawyers. In our second segment, we'll talk about Dennis's accomplishment of one of his tech resolutions and personal genome sequencing services. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main topic, the Internet of Things. I will be the first to admit that I really don't, I guess maybe I didn't, get the idea of the Internet of Things. Or I I think I get it, but I just don't understand why it's called the Internet of Things. Maybe it's just the title that throws me off. But after listening to other people on the subject, I get the feeling that Nobody really knows what the Internet of Things is, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we're all learning together. At its most basic, though, the the Internet of Things refers to objects that connect to the Internet uh, and provide us, hopefully, with useful information, helpful services. Dennis, what... What indeed are all of those machines doing on the Internet, and why should lawyers even care about this?
1: Tom, I, I started to think about this in the past week because uh, there's a new GigaOM podcast uh, on the Internet of Things uh, that Stacey Higginbotham is is doing, a couple episodes out now. Got me thinking about Internet of Things, and which the ideas have been around for a while, and and I think, it, I think one of the reasons you, you, you feel that maybe nobody really knows what it is is because it's one of those things that means different things depending on where you look at it from. And it's sort of like the cloud in a sense. It's a little bit confusing what it means. Um, and then also I, I think part of it's a, another layer of abstraction. So uh, to the extent you find the cloud confusing, you're going to find Internet of Things confusing because the Internet of Things definitely relates to the cloud. But the the basic idea I think is that um, that machines uh, and devices are all connecting to the internet, and sort of the classic example, uh, of course, is computers and and smartphones. But we have. Thermostats. We have things in cars. We have medical devices. Um, you know all these different machines of uh, that that will actually you know use Wi-Fi or some other method, generally Wi-Fi, to get onto the onto the internet, and they'll produce data. That then can be analyzed and used in in different ways, and so you will see a lot of different examples of the Internet of Things. And so the smart home idea is one thing where you have these different sensors around, and and the GPS in your smartphone will will once you get into a certain proximity of your house, turn up your thermostat, open your garage door, do all those sorts of things. And then so that's one on one side. The other side is uh, you know things like RFID chips in in. Uh, in stores to help the inventory process, uh, and just this whole notion that, that we have all these little uh, devices with chips in them and internet access uh, that can act as sensors and provide data that we can use in a number of different ways.
2: You know, when I think about the Internet of Things, I am um, I am reminded of the commercial that was on for a while, where the uh, the husband is standing in his driveway with a with in front of his car, and and the friend is kind of egging him on, call her, call her, and and so he calls his wife who is just getting on the plane, and, uh, and he asks her to just do it one more time, and she she gets her phone out, and she's able to start the car, uh from uh from 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 the plane, uh, she's able to turn the car on and and lock and unlock the doors, which he calls just showing off, but. That to me is one of the first examples that I saw of the Internet of Things being able to control things via the internet um, with a smartphone. Uh, and, and for me, though, what it has come down to personally, and and Stacy Higginbotham talks about this, but it, but it's but it's something that actually I've been using for a while. Is I uh, I I've bought all the products from Fitbit. I have a Fitbit uh, to to measure my steps and and my sleeping and how many stairs I climb and all of that, and it's reporting all that information back every time I come near my. My computer, it automatically syncs up uh, online. So it's transmitting all the information about how, you know, how much I'm walking, whether that walk was a high intensity or low intensity. Uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 capturing a whole lot of information it's also i also bought the fitbit scale so that anytime i weigh myself that's automatically being transmitted as well uh when you hook that up to a service like uh like lose it lose it is another site where you can go to uh, to to pursue weight loss gain uh, goals. And uh, it will connect with your, uh, your, your scale and your Fitbit to let you know, here's how you're doing. Here's what your weight is. Here's how much activity you've got. And here's where you stand on your goal. And then c- combine that even more with Microsoft Health Vault. I've been using Microsoft Health Vault to store health related information. It will also connect with those accounts. So now um, Microsoft Health Vault has a record of my blood pressure. It has a record of my weight. It has a record of how active I've been it's all connected via um, via the internet and I think that it's it's really interesting those are just those services that all happen to be connected to each other and I think that's what I think is interesting about this this internet of things is is that we're getting to a point where we can connect all of these all of these devices and services together to provide um, a bunch of different services that are useful to you uh, about the things that you're doing every day
1: your example is great because I think the, one of the the things is it definitely takes a step or two out of the process. So, you know, when I ride my bike, I use this uh, iPhone app called Endo Endomondo, and you know, I turn it on and it uses the GPS and it maps my route and it you know keeps track of the mileage and it uploads it to the the Endomondo website, so I have a record of all of that. Um, if I remember to to turn it on when I leave, and so I say, if the Internet of Things then becomes something where there's a chip in, uh, you know, on my bike or on the tires or you know, connected to the odometer um, that automatically turns it on and reports that, then I don't have to worry that I've turned this on and turned it off, and I and I have an accurate record of of it. Uh, so I think that's that's one thing. Stacy also talks about the uh, you know the classic example of the the uh, the refrigerator, being able to tell when you you need to get new milk, uh, medical devices, so if you have an elderly parent, you can keep track of what's going on, doctors can keep track of what's going on, and so you, you eliminate that step. So that's one aspect of the Internet of Things. The other, I think, is where the machines start to, uh, you know, communicate with themselves and do things on their own. So you have the sensors out there to to let you know what's going on say in farming or other things like that or military uses uh and we've definitely seen some of it i think in in uh in automobiles and, and other places uh so i i compare i I, th- I think of the internet of things as a sort of network of sensors in a way that i sometimes think of of Twitter as being this this network or aggregator of real time reports from people. The internet of things I think offers us opportunities where those sensors and the machines provide data that we can use
2: well, I think that's right and um i i I think that I, I think that the major benefits of this internet of things is really to automate. The things that you had to do manually uh, and 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 also allow those types of things to be done Remotely, um, and you know, for example, changing the thermostat, making sure your car alarm is on, controlling your office environment um, is is sort of my first thought on how this can benefit lawyers uh, in 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 their practices. I, I think that one of the interesting parts that was discussed during one of the uh, one of the podcasts was the idea of what they call geofencing, which takes your location and executes a number of actions. It uh, you know when you get a certain distance away from your house, it can turn off the air conditioning or the heat when you get a certain distance uh closer to your office it will turn on the lights and turn on the ac or turn on the heat uh you know when you get home your 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 garage door knows that you're there uh and it and it, and it opens up and it's not just really acting on its own it's tying into things like uh the weather service so it uh is estimating the most comfortable temperature for you when you get to the get to the house so i think that the tons of benefits to this, but the concern that I have really with this, until some standards are are reached, is that all of these services are coming up with these great apps, and I can download them all on my smartphone, and I can access my Nest thermostat, and I can turn on my lights, and I can do all sorts of things, Um, but I now have... Ten apps to handle ten different services, and I really want that dashboard I want that one service that ties them all together and from what I understand uh, they're not there yet there are so many different protocols for these types of services that uh, they are just sort of hanging out all there by themselves and if you want to use them you're going to be you're, you're going to be using them all, uh, all all differently and all separate and apart is that your sense of that Dennis
1: yeah I mean it's sort of the frontier out there, and so we're going to of looking at new types of operating systems, you know, ways that, you know, data will be shared. I don't know whether that's, you know, in APIs or other approaches, you know, what's going to happen with that data? How do you, uh, How, you know, how does one thermostat communicate with, you know, with something else? You know, how does the, uh, you know, the chip in your coffee cup, you know, communicate with your coffee machine or your, you know, the coffee warmer so that when the temperature gets too cool, it automatically warms it up for you if they're, you know, provided by different manufacturers. So there are a bunch of issues out there. And that from the, the technical side will have to be worked through in the same way that that I I think other issues have been worked out in the past, but it, I, I just feel like a lot of this has really started to happen and, and it's not, you know, that sort of science fictiony thing. Cause, cause a lot of it is out there. I mean, you know, we were thinking, I know you were thinking like, well, what do you know about the, the internet of things, Tom? And and you have this, uh, you know, this great example of Fitbit that you're already out there using. And, and I, th- I think we can start to think of, of lots, lots of examples. Um, and and then I have a question and then that raises the question of, OK, so this, you know, these sensors are out collecting data uh, and it's all helpful to us in a way, you know, but as you start to aggregate data and it gets out into the cloud and big databases and people are able to run analytics, what does that tell Uh, you know, others about us and our habits? And, you know, what are the privacy issues? What security issues are is the fact that, uh, you know, our door is reporting that you just left it? Does that, you know, does that tell somebody it's okay now to to come in and burglarize your house? Or, you know, and so there, there are any number of issues out there that you say, well, yeah, you know, maybe that's not that big a risk, but it's something that that definitely has to be sorted through. And there was a, I, I it was striking to me because there was a recent example, Tom, of uh, the New York Times had a reviewer of the the electric Tesla car and. They had a negative review, and and the Tesla company responded with just an overwhelming amount of detailed data of exactly how that car was used during the review period. And it was interesting in in some ways, but it was uh, kind of unnerving in other ways that that potentially these sensors are gathering and keeping all kinds of data. And, uh, you know, Tom, in your world, in the world of discovery and records management, isn't this potentially opening this huge new area that, you know, lawyers have just barely been able to get a uh, handle on email discovery? Now, if you got
2: to if you got to do discovery on the Internet of Things, what do
1: lawyers do about that?
2: Well, and that kind of leads to the to the next area that I wanted to cover, which was. What does this mean for lawyers? And I break it down into two things. One is how does it help lawyers in their practice, and how does it help lawyers represent clients? And uh, and I think that the second question is a little bit easier to answer than the first question. So I'll I'll, I'll go to that first. I, but you know, like you said, Dennis, every everything else, everything that involves data is discoverable. Yeah, I I view this really as being more relevant to the devices that your clients use than to the devices you might own use use yourself in your in your practice. You know, for example, let's say that your client. Um, or, or maybe the plaintiff on the other side is is making a claim that uh, that he or she's been completely physically inactive due to a particular accident. But uh, you'll now be able to, using the example I gave, you'll now be able to take a look at the Fitbit tracker to find out uh, and see how active they were during the time in question. If they were, uh, you know, if, if people are, are dumb enough to put pictures of them skiing the slopes on Facebook, then they're probably also dumb enough to keep their Facebook and their their Fitbit uh, their their Fitbit with them while they're uh, claiming that they're totally incapacitated and I, I say dumb but I, I you know what I mean it's 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 that the nature of, of people to to not pay attention you don't realize that uh, people actually can see you and now with services like this people can see you even more often and I, I really think that as as these services, Increase and improve that people will be creating about information about themselves automatically, I, and in some cases they're going to forget that it's there. And I think that this is a potentially huge source of discovery for lawyers um, in the future. I think it's 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 going to be a great. And when, you, when I say the future, uh, like you said, it's now for a lot of things. There are some areas where lawyers probably could try and find uh, find some information uh, that 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 exists now in current services, and I I think it's going to be a really interesting time for that. Well, when we talk about uh, how it's going to help you in your practice, I, I sort of see that as being more of the, uh, the 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 future rather than what's happening right now. But but picture, and I I take this from a I sort of adopted this from a, 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 a Cisco infographic that we'll post in the show notes. But just imagine uh, that your client uh, you're meeting with your client in the morning and they move that meeting back an hour. They need to they need to wait and they move it back an hour. And so imagine the systems that. That would um, your cat would allow your calendar once they moved it back to alert all your other systems? It would learn that you need an extra five minutes to go fill up your car with gas. Uh, it learns about uh, accidents on the way or delays in train service, and it adjusts your alarm clock accordingly. It, it uh, makes sure that uh, it turns on your car five minutes ahead of time because maybe there was some ice that fell the next uh, th- that the night before. It turns on your coffee maker to make sure that there's coffee ready not only at home but it turns on coffee. At your office when you arrive for that uh, that that uh, meeting later that morning, I think that the possibilities are tremendous for that area. But I still don't think we're quite there yet, at least in terms of how lawyers can use it in their practice. And that's kind of how I uh, how I how I come down there. Dennis, given the time we have left, can 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 you offer uh, is in closing this segment just a few conclusions on where you think we're headed with this?
1: I sort of think that this has gone a lot farther than any of us really expect already, and um, and I and I feel it's one of those areas where I I really have a lot of concern about lawyers, you know, kind of. Not wanting to to learn technology, whether it 's social media or whatever that I think this potentially has a lot of implications and you 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 had a good list you know if if, if somebody's saying they 're injured and and there 's data out there because of uh, you know sensors and devices that can prove the contrary and you 're saying oh i 'm just looking at the emails then um, you 're probably not doing a good job of representing clients and and so I think it 's uh, You know, lawyers may not like this, but I I think you got to learn these technologies and at least know what's out there. So that's that's one thing. I think the other thing is you want to start to look to say, yeah, there's probably not a lot necessarily in the in in what how it might impact on your actual day-to-day practice, but I think you're gonna see more of it. And that smartphone is really gonna be the hub of that in the apps that you use, uh, the way it reports data out. I think you're gonna to have to have a better understanding of when you're signing up for services or apps, you know, what it's doing with that data, how that's being aggregated and, and analyzed. Um, so I think it's a fascinating world. And like I said, I just have the sense that, that maybe it's advanced a lot further than any of us expect. And and it will happen a lot faster than anybody
2: expects before we move on to our next segment let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor
0: hi my name is kay kenny from legal talk network and i'm joined by jack newton president of Clio. jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud Now how long does it take to move to the cloud and is it a difficult process?
1: No, with most cloud computing providers moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes and uh, even if you have an existing uh, a legacy. That's G-O-C-L-I-O dot com.
0: If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too.
2: now let's get back to the kennedy mile report i'm tom mile and i'm dennis kennedy
1: in this segment we're going to revisit one of my tech resolutions for 2013, but I also want to uh, take just a just a second to uh, to talk about an email like we got from Neil Squilante, our friend at Techno Lawyer, about our our last uh, episode on iPad, our mobile app management. Um, he pointed out a, a great uh, article by Sarah Perez on TechCrunch on uh, February 10, 2013. Uh, it was called Five Ways Users Organize Their Apps and What App Designers Can Learn from This." I, I think it's a nice Overview of of different styles that people have about apps, and then he also uh, clarified in, in a good way. I think that we we sort of talked about two methods of on device or syncing through iTunes, and we generally referred to basically plugging your your. Uh, your device into iTunes and, and then syncing that way. But um, he pointed out, and it's, it's worth mentioning that you can also do this and organize your apps if you're if you sync through Wi-Fi, so you don't actually have to have the cord connected. But what it, our main focus of this segment will be is that I had this. Uh, one of my technology resolutions for this year was to get my genome sequenced through to the service offered by a, a company called 23andMe. And I've actually accomplished that resolution this year, and I wanted to pat myself on the back. I got my uh, results back this week. Tom, I convinced you that talking about my experience would actually be interesting to our audience. So let me tell you a little bit about the process and how fascinated I am by what 23andMe is doing. So the idea with 23andMe um, is that it's in a way, a big research project. In another way, it it does a type of genome sequencing, not a full genome sequencing. And it's able, because of recent uh, venture capital funding, to get that price down to $99. So for $99 plus shipping, you'll get a kit, um, and they do your genome by saliva. So you get... Uh, uh, a plastic bottle that you fill to the line with saliva, you send it off, and four to six weeks later, you, you get results back. And so I've got the first round of results back, and I expect to, to have some more uh, extensive results come in soon. And they sort of fall into two categories. So one is sort of what I'll call health-related, and the other is ancestry-related uh, genetic uh, uh, results. Uh, and so as a result of the analysis, it will tell you things about certain disease risk risks that you have, where you have increased or decreased risks, and it's a fairly extensive uh, list. We'll tell you uh, some medications that uh, will work well for you or might not work well for you, again, based on genetic information that that they already know, Um, and and then actual genetic diseases. What I like is this this is great format, Um, and so it it allows you to... uh, get explanations about the meaning of, of the different results that you get, and actually connect to, the, to uh, research reports if you want to dig deeper into it. Um, I also like the fact there are certain, uh, certain areas, and I'll use the example of Alzheimer's and uh, a certain type of, of cancer trait called BRAC, uh, which if you get results in those areas, it could be really disturbing to people. They come to you what they call lack. So, you have to affirmatively click on those and read uh some informational material almost disclaimer like material uh before you see those results so you don't you you make the decision yourself whether you want to see those results at the time that you're ready to see those and uh and so that was uh Really interesting stuff, and 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 some of the things on the medicines is uh, uh, could be really helpful. We're already starting to see in certain types of chemotherapy where they're looking. You know, some people just genetically respond better to certain medications than than others, and so that can be really helpful. Um, a, so that's the the health related side, and on the ancestry related side, the one thing that's kind of uh, funny and interesting is that we're now they're able to tell you the percentage Neanderthal genes that you have, um, <laughs> you know, which is, you know. <laughs> Uh, pr- pretty interesting, you know, because uh, it really gives you something to think about. I was joking with somebody at work this week of how it, it sort of seems like the the European Homo sapiens seem to have a little trouble keeping their hands off of of the Neanderthals, because it seems like there's, I, I think there's sort of median around two and a half percent Neanderthal uh, genes in 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 most people. So, uh, that's interesting. And then you can get more uh, detail. And some of this is is going to be more forthcoming. For me in the sort of second round of information to say, here's the, the, you know, genetic family lines that you come from. And so, uh, you know, I, for me, I kind of joke because, you know, obviously I, it said I had, uh, I came from European background, which is no surprise, but it sort of indicated, uh, you know, two specific geographical areas. You can get more information about that as well. And so, um, you get this information, plus uh, they also do some survey information. So they have the genetic results, and they're also asking you whether, uh, you know, answers are simple questions. Does your face turn red when you, when you drink alcohol? Things like that. And then they're able to associate your answers, you know, with the genetic results they get from other people. And as they build this database, it becomes this really interesting research project and uh, you know, when I first got the results, I just wanted to take a quick look, and I spent probably an hour going through results. So um, for $99, uh, it's, it's, I, I feel like I'm participating in a really great uh, research project and, and also getting some interesting information uh, about, you know, potential health risks or, or, or some things that maybe not are as, uh, uh, you know, potential health concerns. So Tom, I don't know, That's that's been my experience. I know you were interested when I first talked about it. I don't know whether this makes you more interested or less interested.
2: Oh, well, I think it would make me more interested. I think that it's, you know, it, it's, Interesting that we are, we were talking about the Internet of Things and and this topic in the same podcast because we're talking about technology that's already here. It's things that you never imagined would be able to we'd be able to know or do, and it's already happening. And uh, I I know that that they've discussed in past years in plays and books and and other media. Uh, what would you do if you could you know discover certain things about your genet- genetic history or or what may come in the future? And there's a scary element to it. I, I think that that's great that they lock out some of those uh, more sensitive areas to give you the, uh, the ability, the power to decide what you know and what you don't know. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm intrigued. I, I think I'm probably going to do it. Uh, but again, that that's what would hold me back is do I really want to know that stuff? Uh, and I probably do. It's probably how it works out for me. So very interesting, uh, something I'll be looking into.
1: Well, also I think they're really great at, at discussing with, you know, that, Genetics is, is probabilities, and it's just one one factor I mean in some genetic diseases you know it is it is a very determinative factor, but you could find some things that you could say, "Oh, uh, since I have an increased risk of this, I can make the behavioral changes now uh rather than wait till later or if, if you know to use that Alzheimer's example say that you were of a high risk for Alzheimer's genetically you what you might do is say oh if i i'm going to do travel and other th- things earlier in my life you know rather than wait till till later so it's uh, you know, it's it's probabilities. You need to kind of think carefully about it. You know, maybe this isn't for everybody, but uh, as to be part of a great, you know, science experience experiment, you know, given how recently the genome itself was sequenced, uh, this I just think it's it's really cool. And and like I said, it was one of my resolutions, and one I'm pleased to say that I've accomplished. But it's time for a parting shot. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away.
2: Well, this is a tip that I give uh, the same time each year, and it is time for my ABA Tech Show tip. ABA Tech Show is coming up in just over a month from the time that we're recording this. It's April 4th through the 6th in Chicago at the Chicago Hilton. Uh, Once again, ABA Tech Show promises two and a half days of fantastic technology, technology, Content. We have some of the best speakers in the business coming to talk to you about uh, mobile technology, electronic discovery, records management, um, advanced information technology, uh, cloud computing, you name it. We're talking about it. Uh, we've got David Pogue, the, uh, the columnist from the New York Times, will be the keynote. I understand he is very entertaining. It will not be just speaking. I understand there will also be singing and maybe some dancing. But uh, it's going to be, I think, a really great show. As usual, uh, go to techshow.com to see the agenda and make your reservations. Dennis.
1: Yeah, and people can also sign up for uh, one of the Taste of Tech Show dinners uh, time that you and I will be hosting. So uh, encourage listeners uh, who would like to hear us live and and have dinner with us uh, to to do that. My my parting shot is uh, a great little website I found uh, last week called Quote Investigator QuoteInvestigator.com. dot com. Um, probably almost everybody who's been on the internet for a long time has seen this. Uh, quote, I see it all the time on Twitter, it says something like, there's, and there's several variations of it, it, says you can't believe most of the quotes you read on the internet, and then it's attributed to Abraham Lincoln. Um, and and it's, it's this kind of funny reminder that you've got to read quit- critically and uh, and not just accept everything you see on the internet. But Quote Investigator actually has a thing where they take common quotes, and they go back and they try to figure out who said it first. And if you do pre- you know presentations and the like, a lot of times you have these great quotes that you want to use and it becomes unclear who actually said it first. And if you do even a little, if you do research a lot of times it does get misattributed and it's embarrassing to you know, have the quote from the wrong person in a, in a presentation. So quote investigator, I think um, is a great way to track down some of those quotes and make sure that somebody actually said them and, and what they really meant from the beginning.
2: So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, will be available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes at lawtechnologytoday.org or in the Legal Talk Network site. Our archives of previous podcasts are still available in iTunes and on the Legal Talk Network website. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile.
1: And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to The Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Get our new episodes automatically by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. The views
0: expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies. Smart ways to work together from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report only on the Legal Talk Network.